I think always within me and my personality, I've just had a lot of curiosity for things. Being inside the structure of the church, it kind of felt uh, like it clashed up against some of the success that I wanted to feel. I kind of had to quiet some of that curiosity a little bit. And yeah. it always existed. So I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of what led me to question things even more was just giving myself permission to be curious. And I really appreciate his view of like, you have to relax, like when things hit your stuff, you relax and release. And I, and I just want to hear from you, like what you think about what releasing is, like in practical terms. Well, I really like what Michael Singer talks about, basically like you're happy all the time and not like a stupid kind of happiness, right? right. Not like you're like delusional, right? But yeah. you're just, I don't know, it's, I like what he says about it, okay? But the thing that it rubs up against my stuff <laughs> yeah. is what's the purpose? What's the purpose? What's the purpose? Do you see a purpose in life through his lens? And as personally as the fact that we don't know. We, I mean, the only thing that we know and we feel secure in is how we feel right now. Our needs are being met right now. And I think it's almost liberating to say and admit and really wrap your head around the fact that nobody, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. You want someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. You want religion mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. Look for the good in everything. Look for the people who will set your soul free It always seems impossible until it's done Look for the good in everyone Alright, so I am here with Scott and Jessica and this is a follow-up to an episode that uh, Scott and I did back in... When, when was it, Scott? Was it February? March? I think March. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It was called The Hand in the Glove. And uh, so so I think we're going to call this The Other Hand in the Other Glove, but I don't know if it's really going to be about hands or gloves or what. We'll see what it's about. And uh, Jessica reached out to me about a month ago, having listened to that episode, but not being able to find it, and uh, asked me if I could uh, find which episode that was because it, it had some special meaning to you. So we're we're just here today to have a, a conversation about things. So let, let's start with you, Jessica. Maybe you could introduce yourself since this is your first Infants on Thrones appearance. Uh, yeah, my name is Jessica and um, my journey um, trying to figure things out and redefine things has been, I mean, close to a year now of just um, stepping outside of the framework that I had in religion and then trying to create my own meaning and find what, you know, what exists out there to um, 
construct purpose. And uh, I really, my brain just goes, it takes these ideas and it just goes. And I find a lot of times um, my family and friends, they'll listen to me for a little bit and go, whoa, wow, wow. Like, <laughs> we're not speaking the same language anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, just finding community and people that can kind of connect on a level, you know, uh, that kind of get some of these concepts or at least have played around with them and um, applied them in different ways, I think is super fascinating. And um, to me, I think that's the beauty of life is figuring out the tools that work for someone or the way that they define meaning in, in ways in their life. So I'm always curious to know more and open to figure out different ways to incorporate things so very very cool and you and you said that in the last year you've been on a journey what what has that been yeah um so i mean i have a history in the lds church i was actually it's um I think if you looked at my story, you'd think, okay, me being born in the church, both my parents were active members and they were both converts. And then they, when they divorced, they both decided to split away from the church. And so most of my upbringing, I kind of really was baptized in this, I don't know, this life of Mormonism. And then we went and had this break where um, the majority of my growing up from then was just, I don't know. Not Mormon whatever. Yeah. Not Mormon, yeah. Uh, trying to figure it out, following the cues of my mom and what she was trying to discover without a lot of dialogue about it. Mm. Uh, so it wasn't until I was 18 uh, ish kind of coming into those years of figuring out how to lay a foundation where I realized, Oh, and, and I'm looking back now, I see it almost as an act of rebellion in a lot of ways, like, okay, you left this. Well, I'm going to join this. Oh, really? You were rebelling against your mom by going back to the Mormon yeah. church. That's we, awesome. I mean, we laugh about now because she's since, um, I don't know, she's just watched my process and evolution of things um, where she can, we can both realize that at the time that was, that served a purpose for me. Sure. Um, it did. It gave me a groundwork of, you know, this is what you do and this was what will happen. And I hadn't had that up until that point. Um, so yeah, I've been married. Um, my husband and I have been married for 14 years and we have five kids and we've done things up until this last year, kind of the model way within Mormonism. And in a lot of ways, it's been very successful. Um, mm -hmm from you know whatever ways you determine success but uh yeah I, I think always within me and my personality i've just had a lot of curiosity for things yeah. and i think being inside the structure of the church it kind of felt uh like it clashed up against uh some of the uh success that i wanted to feel i kind of had to quiet some of that curiosity a little bit and yeah it always existed. So I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of what led me to question things even more was just giving myself permission to be curious. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. And, and so, so about a year ago, that that's when, did you and your husband both come to this at the same time? No. About the church? No. And it's actually our relationship. Um, I'm the only one in, in our family. So it's a mixed faith oh, okay. relationship, which I mean, he still takes the kids to, ch I mean, has church resumed yet? Like in we, church, in person church anywhere? 
there, I think they have started to resume uh, based on like scheduled meetings. Uh, so okay. technically, yes, it started up and yeah. um, I don't know though, it's been a really interesting thing. I think even just approaching it from the standpoint of curiosity instead of um, like, I kind of, I of course had that like angry phase, but it was never a, um, I never felt like a victim. It was more of a, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> yeah. I used this in this way before, but it no longer serves me in the same way. So I recognize so in my husband that it does, you know, these things are very meaningful and, and have a lot of importance in the way that he shapes his world and the way that he conducts himself. And I think having that difference um, has really been beneficial in, in kind of the healing process that you go through um, yeah. instead of turning away and not really being faced with that um, dichotomy of belief, we can kind of face it because we have to in order for it to be successful in you know, any meaningful way now, recognizing you know, we are individuals and we find the things that we need to you know, make sense of life and whatever. Yeah. So. All right, so you're doing the whole mixed faith marriage thing now, and if if I remember, Scott, you, your your marriage isn't completely mixed faith, but you're still attending church regularly. At least last time we spoke, has there been yeah. any update since then? No, I, there's no real update. So we, uh, um, my wife doesn't really know how I feel about stuff like mm. when it comes to the church, you know, and so. She, so I, Jessica's I would, just espousing how important it is to have these I, conversations <laughs> as individuals and you're going, eh, okay. <laughs> well, I think it's important too. Yeah. Um, and I've had, you know, like in my process, I've, I've changed a lot over the last probably 10 years. It's been when I think when I kind of uh, started to transition a little bit and escalating quicker and quicker, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I would have said I was okay in the church, but you know, I think probably last year or last year and a half, is when it really snapped in me and I'm like, I don't, I don't like the, I don't like this anymore. Mm. And, um, and it's, and even now it's like, I'm changing more and more, you know, I listen to like radio free Mormon and other podcasts. And like, just recently I feel like I'm losing interest in those now, you know, mm. like it, it's just kind of just not as interesting to me. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so I really appreciate you like bathing with God, you know, and things that are branching out from, that such narrow view of Mormonism. Um, and uh, so I don't know, I've been thinking, I want to be honest and forthright, of course, uh, but it's hard, you know, it's really yeah. hard. And, uh, and, um, and I have plans. We'll see if they ever come to fruition. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and the episode that we did before was a, an email that you sent me with a bunch of questions and we, and we read through the questions and we talked about them and then uh, recently you sent me another round of questions um, based around these, uh, what, what, the infant path to surrender, what, whatever those episodes I've been doing with Bill Real. Right. And it was really kind of around, um, once you start just letting everything go, then what's the meaning, what's the purpose of life? Yeah, yeah. So just so you know, I've, uh, I've listened to, uh, what's the first book by Michael Singer? The, uh... the Untethered Soul? Yeah, the Untethered Soul, yeah. which is really cool, a really good book, and it's funny because I, I mentioned it to my wife, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I heard that on one of my Instagram people, and she wants to read." It. I'm like, "Well, yeah, you should read it. <laughs> yeah. I think it'll help you deal with me." <laughs> um, but I also, you guys, that eight-part series that you guys listen to, yeah, there's like an audible version of that. Is there? Um, 
Yeah, and it's just one credit. And I don't know if it's the whole thing. It was like eight hours long, I think. Okay. I don't think it's the whole thing you guys listen to, but it's an eight-part series. It might. It might be. Yeah. It, so, I'll, I'll 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 check that out. Really? Yeah. It's really really cool. So I actually just finished it today. And if I were to ask you anything about that stuff, it would be really for you to drill in on. You know, um, like I I like the whole, I loved it all. It was really good. He's a he's really cool. I like him. And I'll listen to it more, but the, and I really appreciate his view of like, you have to relax. Like when things hit your stuff, you relax and release. And I, and I just want to hear from you, like what you think about what releasing is Mm -hmm. like in practical terms. And then, but then also back to my email and uh, this, this, I, well, I really like what Michael Singer talks about. um, And just basically like you're happy all the time. And not like a stupid kind of happiness, right? right. Not like you're like delusional, right? But yeah. you're just, I don't know. It's, I like what he says about it, okay? And, um, but the, 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 the thing that it rubs up against my stuff yeah. <laughs> is, is, you know, um, what, and I, I think about this a lot, but like, what's the purpose? What do you do? Do you see a purpose in life through his lens? Mm. And I think I do. I think he explains it. And, yeah. And especially since I finished it now, just the past few days. Um, but I, I'd like to get your view on that. And and that's one thing I really like about Jordan Peterson. And I know I know a lot of your audiences probably hates Jordan Peterson's guts. Um, but uh, I really like him. And one of the things that's cool about him is his, he, he, one of his big mantras is finding meaning and responsibility. And so he'll say that, like, you know, Jesus is, is, is a, an archetype. And how um, he of the of the best person because what he did is he took he voluntarily took all this responsibility upon himself and therefore has like the greatest meaning, you know. And that responsibility, from my perspective, would be like the atonement, you know, and eternal life and all that fun stuff. Um, and uh, anyway, so I I really like that about Jordan Peterson and and like I like that idea of um, meaning, um, but then it, but it stresses me out. And, and then, and so like, I feel like, uh, so I really, I feel like there's going to be some kind of amalgamation of Peterson and, and Singer. And I'm going to come out as like some Yogi master. <laughs> right on. Well, when, when that happens, you'll need to let me know. I, <laughs> I, so, so to, to address your question about meaning, I, I, I think for me with the, that relax and release stuff, that kind of becomes the new meaning of life or purpose of life is to anytime, you know, so yesterday I was driving around with, with Cammy and um, there's these cars that were just going so slow in front of me and I was getting so annoyed with them. And she's like, why are you getting annoyed? I thought you were like relaxing and releasing Michael Singer stuff. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I will, but I'm going to play with it. I'm going to have fun with it. And uh, you know, that's one of the examples that he, he gives yes. in there. Um, I, so I, the, the, the things that bother me come up all the time. They still always come up. And so part of the game of it is being aware, oh, it's happening again. All right, how am I going to respond to it this time? And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I have like the best answer on how to relax and release, but just to acknowledge it, like not, because I don't want to bury my head in the sand. Like it's right. not, like it's not happening. Uh, right. But just, just kind of be like, oh, it's happening again. The, the biggest thing when there's things that are really hard that happen, I'll just breathe and I'll, I'll relax my body. I'll just like feel my muscles relax and just be kind of like, all right, here it is. And then get through it. 
and 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 that does become the purpose and the meaning of my life for now at least is to try to deal with things when they happen and they hit my stuff in a like more going with the flow kind of way than really um, getting annoyed with it. And, and also I think the other part of it is recognizing when there's nothing going on around me and I'm getting annoyed by something or bothered by something or afraid of something because I'm doing it because I'm creating that anxiety about thinking about something in the future that hasn't happened and might not happen, but, now it's impacting me in this moment because I'm worrying about it. Or I'm thinking about something in the past that I did that uh, I regret. And that's having this impact on me. You know, there's not anybody in the car in front of me that's bothering me. It's me doing it to myself with, with right. my own thoughts and recognizing, oh, I'm doing this to myself again. How do I relax and release through that? Because that, like, that's a full-time job, man. <laughs> Right. What What's the balance between like, you know, thinking about your future, you know what I mean? Like you need to think about your future. You need to sure. make, yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. But I guess, so what's the balance between that and like worrying too much? And I guess if you're worrying too much, you're worrying too much. Right. But, but you know, like, like for instance, so in my line of work, uh, it could be pretty stressful. Right. So, and you're a divorce attorney, right? Yeah. I'm a divorce attorney. So most of my days are spent putting out fires, you know? Yeah. And so, people's lives are on fire <laughs> and I got to put it, put out the fire. And so I'll get like an email or a voicemail or just something is looming on the, you know, on the horizon. And, um, and I had a policy, I started a policy like right, right when I started that once, like I don't look at my email over the, after five o'clock or over the weekend, cause mm -hmm. it'll just ruin my whole day, you know, cause I'll get some email I'll stress over it. And, and I realized back then that like, why do why, I don't need to think about it till Monday. So I'm not going to worry about it till Monday. Right. But now I feel like, like I'm doing that. That was smart, but it's not the, the smartest thing to be doing, you know? And, and like, like how, so like if I have like this, this email or just something kind of pushing on my, I need to relax and release that somehow, I think. Right. But I also need to worry. Like, I can't just be like, Oh, it's not like, I don't need to worry about it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Jessica? I have an example. This is something I actually haven't shared with you in our conversations, but I actually deal with chronic illness as well. Mm. Um, I was born with a tethered spinal cord and it's in a, a degenerative by nature uh, condition. And I've had maintenance surgeries on my spinal cord to keep it stable so that it doesn't progress as quickly. But within, I mean, the last few years especially, I've had a lot of damage and a lot of symptoms that have really kind of put me in this place of, okay, I'm losing control as I'm getting old. Like this is gonna yeah. always be part of my reality that the parts that I can control are less and less, but it's sitting with, within that space of being like, okay, there's so much that I have you know, no power over it, but I have power over the way that I respond to it. Mm -hmm. And I think part of when I started questioning my faith, it was this process of giving myself that power back of being like, oh, it's within my capabilities to trust that I will be able to handle the situation that I'm in, however it arises. Because at this point now, I know that things have come up out of nowhere and I deal with um, 
you know, different symptoms and stuff of that. And one of them, quite frankly, is the fact because of where my uh, conditions located on my spinal cord, it affects everything from the waist down. So there's a lot of things that you kind of have to overcome as far as even societal ideas of what it means to control your bowels and your bladder. Like that is a real thing. <laughs> and yeah. those are the things, the ideas that you kind of shove out of your mind. So I guess what I'm trying to say is there will be things that we have no control over sure. yet we always will to an extent. And so keeping ourselves in that moment, like, um, you know, conversation has been in that zone of taking trusting that whatever moment we're in we'll be able to fully utilize whatever we have to be able to um, accomplish what we need to um, I don't know I, no, I that's great yeah and and now you you've also told me that you you've gone back to school and yeah. you're studying some really interesting stuff and I don't remember exactly what but it's about like the, the brain cognition yeah. psychology what what is it psychology okay. so it makes me sound like i'm really smart but i'm just a entry level student here but just, just an entry level student come on going <laughs> well we're just infants right like <laughs> i don't know it's it's super fascinating and it really like there have been pivotal moments where i've really seen things connect in the sense of i know i mentioned with you the idea of homeostasis mm -hmm. and how i see that societally everywhere this striving for this equilibrium of you know just a, an ideal optimal functioning level you know like um I think the parallels between, you know, neuroscience and the way that you look at organisms, microorganisms, there's so much there where we can step out of that and view us as being a part of this, you know, biosphere in our own right. And I talk to my husband about this and sometimes he's just like, that's not comforting at all. <laughs> that you find comfort in, you know, reducing yourself to a state of, you know, an organism. But to me, it helps because I have that parallel of, okay, we're, we're just a part of the naturalistic world functioning with these behaviors and these programmed, you know, survival instincts and then at the same time we've evolved in this sense where we have these neural pathways and stuff that no other organism has the same way and we're able yeah. to create that meaning we're able to define the things in this life that give us purpose so it's such an interesting mary <laughs> yeah it really and and i like i like that approach of homeostasis and kind of the focus inward like where where do i have that homeostasis just in my own like with the storm of all of the things that are going on in my mind and my feelings if you've got chronic pain that these things that come up that bother you uh, i i think that's maybe the 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 way that i take this this michael singer material is for a meaning of life is how do i create that homeostasis within myself or or recognize i i like i like what you said jessica seeing the way that my reaction to something is kind of like a yin yang balance to what's going on around me as well. Is that how you see it? Like, like okay. being a piece of everything that's, that's going on. I mean, if I think about it, if I were to zoom out and look at a Petri dish or something where there's, you know, all of these 
this little world of everything, you know, working together according to this whole idea of being a part of something bigger. Is that not the same thing (laughs) that we're all doing, you know, functioning within this, whatever idea of a, uh, a biosphere of the, the world that we can perceive we're doing the same. We're acting and, and relating to one another. Connections are being made. Pathways are being formed. And um, yeah, like, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So let me kick it back to you, Scott. And uh, did, did, did anything that you just heard uh, from either me or Jessica help you with this idea of what, what to do when uh, you get those, those work emails and those things that are, are bothering you. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, nothing specific, but um, I, one thing that Jessica just talked about got me thinking about um, panpsychism. Have you heard of that? Either of you? Panpsychism. pan-psychism. Uh, explain it to me. What, what is that? It, well, this is my, it's, I don't really know a lot about it, but I think the idea is that we're all connected psychically mm. and it's not like woo woo stuff. I know I've gotten on you, Glenn, about can be, stuff. yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm curious though, like Jessica, when you're just talking about how like, you know, uh, we're creating this, we're almost like creating a neural net, like that we have in our own minds. Right. And, and I think that the internet is a manifestation of that, right. Where you have um, all these, you know, billions of people now connected and, and I'm kind of curious I think I, if, uh, you know, I, I wonder if consciousness is, um, like personally, I think I'm, uh, that uh, I think my kind of my view on life and, and things is coming around to that. I think I, I haven't said a lot of this stuff out loud. Yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> it might sound stupid, um, but uh, like, I kind of feel like we're, we're all part of God, right? Mm-hmm. Like God is everything, right? Yeah. You know, and that our consciousness is um, different manifestations and, and, uh, and I, and I'm curious, like, and, and, and so in a way, like in my mind, consciousness is like the highest form of energy, perhaps, you know, the highest manifestation, but I wonder if there's like even more higher ones that, that will obtain that are there, but we just haven't gotten there yet. Or, you know, and I would like, and like come some kind of, you know, massive social, like, um, uh, connection, uh, you know, and I don't know if that's gonna be like AI or, or if it's more of an organic thing that really comes about, you know, through biological or, um, you know, interaction, but have you guys heard of the book God's Debris? No, it's a really short story. Um, it's, and it's by a guy named Scott Adams. He's uh, he's a Dilbert, the Dilbert author. And so, mm. oh, okay. I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, anyway, it's a real short story, but it, it, it I really, it, it's, uh, I invite you guys to read it. It's, it's an interesting read, but he talks about the idea behind it now is that, that, um, that we are, we're manifestations of God and that basically God, uh, kind of killed himself and uh and like the only thing that god didn't know was what would happen if he wasn't around mm. and so he, he so god set up a thing where he like said he set his essence into the universe and we're manifestations of that and anyway it's interesting but um yeah, i'm trampling but uh but i think uh but i like that idea though jessica of the um you know or the neural net and what are we what are we creating so Something I found super fascinating too, when I was kind of diving off of my little diving board into psychology, like learning more was I just, I needed to make those connections everywhere. So with neuroscientists, you know, listening to Ted talks and those different ways that, you know, mapping the, you know, neuro connectors and everything in the brain 
to me, there was a really interesting parallel that was made between the idea of understanding the brain and understanding the mind. And you can look at it, and you've probably heard this, but if you look at a city, you look at New York as an entity, and you say, you don't say, what is New York? When you're understanding something like that, you know cognitively that it, it, there's so many things within New York that make up what it is. And so when you're isolating you know, a, a little corner street in New York, you can understand and map out what that looks like around the corner and how it connects to the street down the road, you know, like, but in order to get a sense, like a full sense of what it is, you're going to need to factor in the sounds, the smells, um, you know, all those different sensory perceptions that maybe we can't even really put words to, but that is still a part of what makes New York, New York, or whatever else that you're comparing it to. And so when I thought about it in the sense of the brain, you know, I think there are so many advancements in so many, you know, areas that we have really been able to pinpoint and isolate and understand capabilities within the brain. But to me, that's what I really appreciate about Jordan Peterson is the way that he kind of makes reference to the point that like, we have to have a combination of the metaphysical and the things that we can define. It's like the things that we define kind of provide that scaffolding for the experience that we have. That's also, you know, like we talk about, it's very real, but they're all kind of, you know, to, to understand what consciousness is, you need to factor in all of those questions and ideas that form what a thing is. Yeah. I don't know. I keep thinking about all of the cells that are in our bodies that are that are like all of the complicated things, like each one of them being a living thing that's doing something. And that there was a, a, a TED talk that Jonathan Haidt did several years ago. And, um, and, and we did an episode on it on Infants on Thrones, I think probably December 2017. I'll have to dig that up again. But But he was talking about how when there are, there are single life forms. He was looking at evolutionary biology and there, there would be big bullies uh, uh, that would attack the smaller ones. And so the smaller ones would group together to make them, you know, so that they could survive the, the, the bigger ones. And that there's this pattern throughout evolutionary history where smaller things get together in groups and then they create a membrane around that group that protects those together and he talked about culture as like a metaphorical membrane around groups of people and how, how people form groups kind of like uh, cells form groups. And so when you were talking about New York and all of, the, all of the people, all of the cities, all of the things, and it is almost like a, a, a circuit in a brain or something like that. Um, and I, and I, I, I know I haven't really looked into Gaia theory. Um, I, I know that there are people that talk about Gaia, the, the earth being a living creature and we're kind of like microbes on the surface of it, along with all other kind of living things. And it's, it's an interesting idea to me. <laughs> and, and really, I, I, only, I can only engage in it at the level of metaphor um, as, as a way maybe of trying to find that homeostasis of like, how do I fit into everything else? What, 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 role am I playing? And then maybe going back to that earlier question that you had, Scott, when something is bothering me, how big is that? How significant is that in the grand scheme of things? 
you know, I can kind of ask myself those questions as a way to let go whatever um, I feel rising up in me that is uncomfortable or I don't like. Yeah. I think it's so difficult too to even have a conversation sometimes and like put it into actual meaning because the way that we're designed is in this very dualistic way of thinking like it, you know, like it's just a very difficult concept to put into practical use. I think that's one of the biggest things if I ever share some things with a friend or a relative um, is the, okay, that's great. That sounds sure. wonderful. <laughs> but like, what do I, you know, what do I do with that? And right. I, I think you do what works for you with that. <laughs> like you take, if that means something to you and you see that as a practical tool and helping you create more of a, a state of just being and being okay and then use it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, what's funny is that when you just talked about how you can't, it's a hard thing to describe that really reminds me back when I was in the church, right? Because you would have these strong feelings and you, and I was a crier. And that's one thing that I, I do hold against the, the church a little bit, you know, is that it, I, it was where I felt, it's where I learned to express my emotions, you know, and I was good at it. <laughs> I was good at like letting the emotions well up and it felt good, you know, and it felt good to me inside and also was good in my group. Right. You know, it was, and, um, and, and I was, I think I could have gone really far in leadership because of that. It was something that came natural to me. And, and, and now that I'm like out of it, I don't have that anymore. And it really was like, um, uh, a real loss to me. Um, and something that I, I, I harbor anger towards the church because, uh, for, for it. Um, but, one thing after, and I think this is a recent thing, and, and Glenn, I, I attribute this to your podcast, especially the singer and, and other things, I guess, but like, I feel like um, I've gotten, I've gotten a better hold of that uh, more recently, you know, because I, I remember a couple of years ago where I really, sh like, you know, I had that dark night of the soul, right, yeah. where it's like, you're really like, oh man, is this really it? <laughs> you know, and like, is this really like, I could die and it, it's all over. And, you know, what is, what's going on with, you know, that real kind of existential, like freaking out. And I still go through that sometimes, but I feel a lot better about it now. Um, you know, I feel more and in more control of it. Um, and uh, gosh, I don't even know where I was going with that, but I, you know. Wait, I, when you say control of it, are you talking about the anger? No, I still am pissed about that. Um, <laughs> the, uh, and for you, too, I have a question about, you know, you say with the church that kind of allowed you to express that emotion, having that outlet in that way. Is that kind right, of, right, right. Yeah. do you, I want to know, cause I've been curious, even with others, do you still feel that manifestation of the spirit as defined that way in another way now? Do you feel that moving of, um, you know, being inspired and like, is that, how has that translated for you since? So that's where the, that's where my anger comes in because I really feel like I, I was um, given a counterfeit, right? You know, that like I would have these super strong feelings and now, and, and, and I would associate it with the truth, with the church. And that's true. And this is God talking to me, you know, and, 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 uh, and I, I feel like I've been able to kind of like mentally, it's such a hard thing for me at least to like mentally say like, okay, those feelings were good and true. And like, so like, so for instance, like I think about, my mom uh who passed away right and and i have a son who passed away um and uh 
and and I, keep, I usually get very emotional about those things and and it's funny because like I kind of like that emotion you know and and I wonder like it's like a sad emotion you know what I mean I don't know but it's a feeling I guess <laughs> and and uh and so like I'm I feel like I'm getting and it's not even just the church too that I feel like it was giving me the counterfeit this is but like I don't know like um I'm getting better at it but it's definitely it's almost like the fairy tale is gone right you know and so like a no Santa is not real type of thing. Um, and so it's hard for me to have those same feelings that I did when I thought Santa was real. Right. So like I'm, but I feel like I'm getting better at um, finding, let's see if I can keep on the Santa analogy, <laughs> finding, you know, uh, there's still goodness in um, giving and receiving gifts. <laughs> you know, And like, and, 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 uh, and, and I guess what I'm coming back around to is there is, um, I really, I, even though I've, I don't believe in the fairy tale anymore, and I've lost that fairy tale happiness type of thing, I still see there, it is actually a fairy tale, right? Like it, it is, there is more, you know, and one thing that Singer talks about a lot is he'll be like, you know, the moment you have in front of you took 13 billion years to get here, right? And you're going to say you don't like it, <laughs> you know, right, like, right. and, and the, to appreciate and just to think about all that happened that got you to this point. And that is a fairy tale, right? To my mind, like that's a freaking fairy tale. <laughs> and, but it really happened, you know, and, I, and I'm trying to see, to appreciate more of that in, in what I would call re, in reality, I guess. Um, and, uh, but it is hard, you know, and that, that's the lure of religion, I think, and not just the church uh, in particular, but just, it gives you that place of, you know, and especially when you're in the culture and you're in, you're in testimony meeting and you have 50 people, hundred people looking up at you and, and you're saying how you feel and they all feel the same way and you're all crying together. Like that is amazing. Right? Like, and I don't think I'm ever going to get that feeling ever again, because I'm never going to be in a situation like that again, you know? And so I feel um, like I totally parallel with this in the sense of, to me, Disneyland has always been a big thing. And I've talked with my oldest daughter who's 13 and she struggles with, she has a very critical thinking mind like her mother. And we've been to Disneyland once and you know, you walk past a certain alley and you see the door kind of open with where the, um, you know, the employees go and some of that magic is revealed and as just mechanical. Yeah. You know, and there is that, there's that initial feeling of, oh, like that kind of takes away a little bit of that, you know, that grand, that atmosphere that's being created here. But when you sit with that in the sense of people's imaginations, creating an environment that requires human beings to come together, to pour into something, to create this perception of whatever, how is that not, you know, even more miraculous in right. the groundings of what's real there? Like of what, you know, like, you can still maintain that feeling of awe and add to it with some of the the functioning behind the scenes type of issues, you know, like, and I think the same thing with Christmas. I think now, like, this is, this is amazing, almost more so to me, just personally, I feel like the fact that this idea and the story of Christ and his birth or Santa and the, you know, magic, it's like, this has been a tradition that's carried on and that with it is held all of this like very dear and you know special feeling and you know promoting this goodness i don't know but i think for me too with um feeling the spirit i think 
understanding the elevation emotion part. I'm sure that you've studied that avenue um, with understanding the fact that that's a very, you know, natural response to that stimuli of, um, you know, it's been measured by MRI and, and all of those right. things. But uh, I, I think just redefining what those feelings are, you know, there's a lot of power that can come from saying, you know, that feeling that was the spirit to me. Now, I appreciate that feeling of, of awe and splendor when I see a work of art that's just beautiful and think of all of the hours and the time, you know, spent that it's not defined anymore by is this Heavenly Father speaking to me. It's more look at humanity and what we've done. And I feel that like I, um, I don't know. <laughs> Let me can I drill on that a little bit? Yeah. And then I want to, too. Oh yeah. Go ahead, well, I'm, the, I'm the guest. I'm going to go first. Um, <laughs> right. So uh, I, I think that's really great. I appreciate everything you said, Jessica. And I was curious, like, I think that there's, um, I agree that there's like this, the feeling of awe and spirit, like, you know, and, but what about that feeling? Okay. I don't know. You guys may be different, right? But what about that feeling you would get when you're like, Joseph Smith was a prophet and I'm in the right church and you're not feeling the splendor and awe of like, wow, this is amazing. Magnificent. You're like, I'm awesome. And I'm in the awesome church, <laughs> you know, like what, like that feeling now, I feel like that certainty, okay. There's a feeling there's, there's something that comes from that certainty, right? I don't think I'm ever going to get that again, <laughs> you know, like, and, and it kind of that genre of like the spirit or that good feeling, you know, like, like, I'll be honest, like right now, like I feel good right now. Right. Like I feel like a good influence on me in this conversation. Right. I don't attribute that to the spirit. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but like what, um, I don't know. You see what I'm saying though? Like, I, I'm, I'm curious about how we're going to get that. Other grounding things though? Are there not other grounding things that make you feel that same? Like I am alive right now. I know this in the very core of my being and I'm here and I'm breathing and it's a miracle. Or you look at your children's faces and you think here they are right here. This is real. This is reality. And I'm existing with it. I have evolved to this point and I'm here. Like to me, that kind of elicits the same, uh, I don't know, confirmation feeling of knowing what is real. Like, oh, I like that. Okay. That, take that certainty with the certainty of, of what is actually here. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I, I wanted to, to, you mentioned elevation and emotion, uh, Jessica, and I think that's what you're talking about too, Scott, that, um, what, what is it? Where does it come from? Is, is that something that is also biologically evolved along with our species? And this is something that Jonathan Haidt talks about in that TED talk, um, because he, he says he, he, he talks about the sacred versus the profane. And he says that the profane and, and, and he's uh, he's talking about, I think it's um, Emile Durkheim, who was a French sociologist um, who witnessed the 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 eight uh, well how how do you say it so at the time of the french revolution when they were trying to overthrow the the monarchy they were really attacking religion because religion was tied to monarchy and so atheism was really on the rise as a way to separate power from people and emil durkheim looked at this and said among atheist populations you can see there's there's much more depression despondency suicide the rates are all higher there's there's less a sense of meaning and belonging to something and so he talked about the profane being the realm of the individual self and the sacred being the realm of groups yes. and that when 
you, you as a person do something that's per, for the benefit of group unity. It's, it's, you're, you're basically doing what all of these individual cells did when they combined together in safety against whatever the outward attacker was. And so there is this biologically evolved elevation emotion that tells you you're doing a good thing for your survival right now, whether, whether it, it wears the mask of Jesus or Buddha or, you know, whatever um, it might be, e even soldiers in war who report these kinds of elevation emotion experiences because they're sacrificing for other people, the people that they're fighting for, um, you know, the, this, this sense of there's something that's bigger than I am. And when, when you believe in that, when you tune into that, and when you're doing things in the spirit of that, you're more likely to feel this elevation emotion because of the way that we've evolved biologically. That's, that's one of Jonathan Haidt's point in that video that I, I think is really, really interesting. And it helped me um, surrender and let go of the anger that I felt towards what towards the, the, those, some of those masks, some of those symbols, those Dumbo's black feathers that directed my attention into doing something for the group rather than individual and, and being in that sacred group space rather than in the individual profane space. Yeah. Have either of you studied any of Damasio? No. Like he is a neuroscientist that really gets into emotions and homeostasis to us, the driving force of even our evolutionary, like the way that we've formed and, and how, you know, back, I don't know, 20 something years, even, you know, they would get together at these conferences and almost no one would give any validity to the idea that emotions play such a substantial role in biology. Mm. But with that amount of time, there has been so much consensus, consensus on the idea that emotions are biological as anything else in the sense that the way we've evolved to have those emotions reinforce the things that are going to create that feeling of safety and you know equilibrium in that sense so you know you look at i think it's super interesting to go back way long ago with all the lizards and and animals where before even the nervous system had appeared um you know these animals in these uh, organisms were functioning as if they were doing things motivated by feeling or you know most of that was instinctual or reactive whereas now you know with evolution of biology having that nervous system in place and that appearance of I think along with that was the birth of what we deem consciousness and self yeah. and so being able to identify that and the way that those you know chemical reactions that existed before are now firing into our brains in ways that regulate things for us yeah we use religion ideas stories structures of other things that help reinforce that <laughs> and and it, and it makes sense you, you talk about going back to to times of lizards and stuff i mean <laughs> i I've, I've been watching this no, uh, series called anymore <laughs> what's that not that lizards don't exist anymore. Oh yeah, 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 but, yeah. But but going backwards in the in the stages of evolution, I've I've been watching um, Seven Worlds One Planet. Have either of you watched this? It's good. It's really really good. It's and, but it, it it's it's the you know these BBC Earth documentary type things. David Attenborough, um, where 
you know, they, they spend time that they get these cameras in just some amazing places and you see spiders and like, there was a, there was a snake that evolved this little thing on the end of its tail that looks like a, an insect or a, so, so, so a bird will come to eat this thing, but it, but then the snake reaches out and great. Anyway, there's just some amazing stuff in, in this, but as you watch this or as I watched it, I thought it sure looks to me like there is some form of emotion or some form of feeling that these animals have, you know, like we, we might look at it from the outside, not being able to feel what they feel. Cause we don't, we haven't evolved exactly the way that they have, but we've evolved along similar paths where we know we have feelings and their reactions and responses to things around us. Why, why don't, why wouldn't we think that they have feelings and that feelings uh, kind of motivate and guide the course of whether they survive as a species or not. And can you trace that all the way back to these eukaryotic cells <laughs> and, and do, do cells have feelings, the cells in our body. There's, there was a really fascinating series that um, Radiolab did a couple of months ago on gonads <laughs> and like, what's going on? Did you, did you listen to that one, Jessica? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it's just so fascinating that all of these different pieces of life that are all around us that we're basically blind to, we're not paying any attention to them, but they, I'm sure, I'm sure that these feelings and things that we have have been guiding the course of evolution going way, 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 way back to the first single celled organism. And who even knows what it was like before the single celled organism, the, the things that came into play to, to make that happen. Um, so it just these interesting ideas. So how do you feel now, Scott? Are you feeling the warm burning of truth? <laughs> now I'm feeling a stupor of thought. No, uh, so <laughs> the question for you guys is the, uh, so the elevation of motion, right? Yeah. So there, I, I like, I really like the idea of looking backwards, you know, you know, and kind of seeing how things go. And, and Glenn, when you're talking about like what do animals feel and how we compare our thoughts or our feelings to them, I've thought about that a lot as well. And, and I'm curious, like, you know, um, I, th I think, you know, the development of language is a, yeah. is, a, is a really important thing and being able to put words to these things. And like, and like in my email to you, I said, like, you know, like the self chatter that we have that seems yeah. talked about a lot, you know, I think that's something that separates us from other animals. Um, and, uh, and I think that we developed it on a, on a evolutionary plane, you know, it, 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 this constant chatter that's literally going on all the time, right? It is something that I think that developed so to keep us alert, right? That we're always looking around, we're always looking and questioning things, and we have this, and then, and then, uh, and it has helped us to avoid dangers, and then um, from there, it helps us to, like what Singer says, we 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 understand what we like and we understand what we don't like, and and we we then now we worry about getting something we don't like, and we worry about getting things we like, right? Yeah. And that, and I think that's the primary role of that self chatter now in my head, and um, and you want to quiet it. Um, but I guess, and so I'm, I'm, I, I like the, I like thinking about language and the development of our, our intelligence and our consciousness and how that all kind of plays together. But my question for you guys is this. So we have this elevation of motion, right? That we just talked about and we understand now and the you know, humans understand now, and this is even a recent human development, right? This isn't even like something that we can look at the annals of history, right? We understand that that's like a biological thing. Okay. And, and it's, and, it, and we're part of a, a broader biological system, but it's really it's, it reminds me of the thought that like we're matter looking at itself now. Right. Sure. Yeah. And so like, what does that do to us now? You know, like what is the future of humanity now? If, if, hmm. if we, if we understand that and in my mind, 
that evolute that 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 uh, elevation of motion is what gets people you know one of the things about religion it helps people work together you have a greater cause you know and you're and you and it's uh, i think the backbone of civilization right and so like i don't think we'd be how we are now if we didn't have it you know what i mean if, if humanity hadn't developed it and um and i'm just kind of curious if, if in my mind i feel like this is my personal experience like i've cut the legs out from underneath it right like i told you before like i don't expect to ever have that elevation of motion again like yeah. i did before um uh i don't know it's just kind of interesting to think about it and there's like there is like a certain kind of sadness when i'm saying this right when i'm thinking about this you know and 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 uh and i don't know if it's like i don't know i think it's this i've had these expectations and i've um from growing up in the church and this i don't really necessarily pin this directly on the mormon church but just religion more generally and i don't think it's necessarily like a bad thing honestly you know but it's just i feel like i feel like i find myself in a weird place <laughs> you know and it is, it is difficult though in our culture and and then jessica i am kind of interested in how you've talked about this type of thing with your husband and how you dealt dealt with it in your family because this is one of the things that um that I, you know, one of the reasons, you know, I, the one thing I tremendously worry about is, you know, at ruining my family, <laughs> right? You know, and like losing, you know, um, like I've got four kids, you know, and um, and and I work in this field too. Like I've seen families, you know, divided over this type of thing, and and I and I, don't know, I think we'll be okay once, but I don't know honestly. You know, I honestly don't know. Um, Anyway, gosh, I just said a lot of stuff. I'll just say one thing. I want to say one thing that's been really helpful to me and us personally is the fact that we don't know. We, I mean, the only thing that we know and we feel secure in is how we feel right now. Our needs are being met right now. And I think it's almost liberating to say and admit and really wrap your head around the fact that nobody, nobody knows. Nobody knows what it's going to look like in the future. Nobody knows the way that things will go. But I have a core feeling, and I don't know if part of this is my biology or what, but it's just everything will be. Like everything will be, and we say, okay, but what's okay? I don't know. Right. But it will be what it is. And I think you think about anything like um, transitions that you've been through before you went through a faith crisis or whatever, however you call it you can't even imagine what that is going to look like or feel like all you have is the language you have to construct what that idea would be like if it were to happen to you you know and then yet here we are we are here with this crisis or existential you know feeling whatever dread but we're okay like we're just still being we're still functioning within the day, the moment, you know, we're still, and I don't know, and maybe part of that is speaking to some of my like chronic health things too, is the fact that I've had so much fear in the next step or the next thing that I will lose. Like, yeah. I mean, the knowledge that I have, I mean, going and sitting in the hospital and having the neurosurgeon kind of go down the whole list of things, you know, that potentially could go wrong. And I think, okay, great. What do I do? Mark on my calendar, you know, like what to look forward to or do I just know each time that I've gotten to a place where I thought would be terrible, I deal with it. Yeah. And right. I adapt, you know, like there's not really a, um, I think with religion, it gives you those, 
it kind of feeds you more of those comforting, placating uh, ideas and answers where you don't have to kind of sit within that discomfort for too long and really kind of reconcile how you would deal. But we're all beings that are just figuring things out and we do we adapt that's the beautiful thing so i don't know that no i like that and i and i think that also goes back to your earlier question scott about like how how do you be in the moment but also prepare for the future so you know like uh because what jessica said is we don't really know what things are going to be in the future but where are we right now are we getting our needs net and then kind of like dialing up do in order to pay the bills, <laughs> am I doing what I need to do to pay the bills? Um, you know, those kinds of questions. But there are two things that you said, Scott, that I, I wanted to, to to riff on. One is about the critical thinking. And then the other one is about the feeling that you have like your legs have been cut out from under you. And this might take a while. So <laughs> apologies in advance. So with this this inner chatter that is going on in our heads, and this is just my opinion of it, I, I was... I was in um, Mexico a couple of years ago and I was waking up in the morning going out by this beach and just meditating as the sun was rising and just feeling like this is awesome. I love life. I love, you know, I love all this stuff. And I'm, I'm watching as, as the waves come in and the waves go out and they're forming these little tide pools and there's like living creatures in them that have kind of gotten stuck in the, the tide pools that are going out. And I thought, I wonder if this is kind of how, life evolved from the ocean to to land breathers to air breathers that just kind of as the tides go in and the tides go out there's some creatures that got stuck in there and the ones that were able to hold their breath or whatever the equivalent of that is long enough that got then washed out to the they, they passed along their genes to others that okay they had a, a greater capacity for being out of the water for breathing air and just over long long periods of time there there were there was this trait that developed in certain species. And then I thought, well, what other things would you need? Well, you would, you would need to know, okay, now that I'm out, there's, there's probably going to be places where I need to get food. Where are those? Oh, I need to remember that. I mean, I need to have the ability to move, but I also need to remember where things are and the things that could remember develop that trait. And then there's, there's dangerous places. If I went to this place and some, there's a predator there, um, if I keep going there, I'm going to die. I'm not going to pass long thing. So being able to anticipate the future is another one of these characteristics that evolved over time. And then to be able to predict, well, what if I go there, then this happens. And, and I started thinking of this radar system of our, of our brains and our nervous systems that stores memory, is able to predict the future and create these abstract models of what might happen and make decisions based on that. And I think that's the kernel of this internal chatter. I think that's, that's what's going on. I think, I think what we're doing in our minds is it's like these echoes, these reverberating vibrational echoes of, okay, here's the environment around me. What do I need to be safe? What do I need to avoid danger? And you know, you, you, you said that you think that this is this inner chatter is something that distinguishes us from other animals. But I, I think the only part about it that distinguishes us from other animals is the, the degree to which we've evolved to be able to do this and that we're doing it in a language that we were taught in our culture. So it speaks back to us. 
and in, introspection. But I don't know that my dogs, like I don't have dogs now. I used to, I'm sad. I miss my dogs, but I, I, I don't know that my dogs aren't introspective. You know, there, there's times where my dog looks like, oh, okay, you know that if you get up on the couch, you're going to be sad. And I could see he wants to get up on the couch. He really wants to get up on the couch and he's not doing it because he remembers, he knows there's going to be a consequence, you know, things like that. So is he doing his own version of inner chatter that's just not, you know, it's doggy style of inner chatter? <laughs> that would be. So that, that's what I wanted to say about the inner chatter. I, and I, I think, you know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with it where we think, oh, we need to shut it down. It's a problem. I, I really like that it, at one point, Michael Singer says, this isn't about mind control. Right. We're not trying to say that that inner chatter is bad or that we need to get rid of it. Um, but it's just like sit back in what he calls the seat of self, recognize what's going on, be aware of what's happening and just kind of like go with it. Um, and then, and then the comment that you had about your legs being cut out from under you. Um, I, I, I think something that has helped me in, in kind of going back to this New York city metaphor that Jessica talked about earlier, that, that we're all little bits and pieces in this connected environment around. And even though it might feel like I'm disconnected from whatever group I was raised in, I'm not really, I'm, I'm still a part of everything. So like the, the feeling of having the legs cut out, like explore that, figure out what that's about, but you're still very connected to your, to your wife, to your kids, to, your business associates, people around you. There are still a lot of things that you're doing um, that are for their benefit as well as yours. And one, one of the messages that I really have loved, <laughs> and I don't, I don't know who to accredit this to, but that when you're working on yourself to, to create more peace of mind just within this biosphere that is your own body, that actually is impacting the fabric of everything else around you because you're not separate from every else around you there's one less asshole in the world if you've made yourself not an asshole <laughs> you know so so if, if so maybe if you could focus on those things that you're doing for yourself um, as being something that benefits everybody around you your wife your kids you know could start with that small concentric circle and build outwards maybe that sense of having the the legs cut out from under you because the, the stories that you were taught to believe as being literal, now you go, oh, they're not literal. I don't see them as literal anymore. I see them as figurative. I'm not sure how I feel about them. Some of them really make me angry. Um, but, you know, you're still, you're still connected and, and kind of working through that stuff. Yeah, I love that. I think <laughs> from a parent's perspective, no, that's yeah. so good because it really, it puts you in that place of saying, what? Okay. Well, for me anyway, my brain goes to the things that have really allowed me to just be at peace with how everything's go as a parent. And yeah. especially in a situation where you have, um, you know, a partnership with two different ideals, perhaps, or ways of approaching things. It really made a lot of sense to me to view my children in the perspective they have and their advantages in a situation where they have it modeled to them that there is an existence where you have choices instead of that framework that made you feel, you know, in direct kind of result that your legs were pulled out in a sense where if you are taught from a young age that it's okay to make decisions that are okay for you. And by watching you do the things, you know, learn the things that you need to do and also seeing the things that work for their mind, like that will give them that 
feeling, you know, or, you know, initially or uh, ideally could give them that feeling of it's okay for me to do what I want to do instead of I have to do this or I have to do it like this. And that opens the door up. I think a lot to, it's going to be okay. However it is. Yeah. Uh, And these artificial consequences that if you don't do what you're supposed to do, then you're not going to be with your family forever, you know, or something like that. Because it, because I think with Mormonism, I, I, there's two things about Mormonism. I still really love, like, I love the idea of eternal progression and I love the idea that we're sealed to our loved ones and that we're sealed to everybody else. What, what I don't love is this idea that there's this priesthood authority that's going to come in and say, yes, we are the ones. It's, it's through our power that's binding these things together rather than this is just how everything already is, you guys. Everybody already is sealed together. Um, you know, oh, no, it's, it's this power. And if you don't do X, Y or Z in the right way, it's not going to be effective. And so it, it, it creates fear instead of creating faith and love. And, you know, like faith is a way of being able to like roll with the stuff that you don't know and go, okay, yeah, there's all these problems that are going on, but I can trust that it's in the better hole that it's, it's going to be, maybe not be okay, but maybe it's just going to be, it's, it's all going to work out. It all, it already has, it's been going this way for billions and billions of years. Um, you know, Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. I got a little passionate there. Yeah. <laughs> I think too, Brene Brown is a great example of, of putting you in that seat in your mind, you know, metaphorically of saying, what is the story that I'm telling myself here? You know, yeah. I have a preteen daughter who comes home and it's drama and everything, you know, her world is ending. And I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, what is the story that you're telling yourself about this experience? You know, I want to hear... Your How does she it. respond when you tell her that it's yeah. a story? Well, wait a minute. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is real, mom. <laughs> yeah. So, but really, like, if even as young kids, if you hear, you know, one of your kids that have been fighting with the other one, and they come to you and they say, "So and so just did this to me," and da da da, if you can, even at, at that age, a young age, just say, you know, how do you feel about that? Like, what are you, what, you know, are you thinking about that? Like, yeah. I don't know. It just kind of helps them see, oh, okay, well, I'm creating this narrative with this event that maybe has nothing to do with me. (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, it's been about an hour. It's been a good conversation. Are, are Are there anything, Scott or Jessica, that you wanted to bring up today that we haven't covered? And we can do this again because we don't have to do it all right now. Yeah, there was one thing that has been stewing on my mind just because of the 620 hand in the glove episode was Mm. so much was around the idea of death. Mm. And I really kind of, I think that was where I was like, okay, I'm giving myself permission to explore ideas to reconcile this fear, whatever story I'm telling myself about what death is. And um, I don't know, I just, there were a couple of things that have been forming in my brain since then that have made me feel more peace about death. But I'd like to hear from you too, um, Scott, like what things have been, you've been thinking about as far as death and if you've kind of reconciled some of. Um, and feel free to make reference to the good place. Cause I know you mentioned that in your email, <laughs> Scott. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I, uh, you know, I don't remember exactly <clears throat> what I, thought it when I spoke about in that podcast but I think so I might be repeating myself but I appreciate you team team me up there Jessica because I uh I feel like I feel way better about death 
I do. Um, you know, and I think that that was one, one, it still is like a scary concept to me. And, and I, there's this idea and like this, I don't know if I said this in the last podcast, but this is kind of like my, my, you know, if I, if I was developing religion, this would be one of the tenets. <laughs> and, and I, I like this idea that, that we all came, that we are part of God. Okay. And that we're all kind of manifestations of God and we're all here to experience things and that, and it's, and that God is getting his experience through us, you know, and that when we die, we go back to God. Um, and the question the, the, the big fear to me is, okay, are we gone at that point? Right. And I don't, I don't, I feel like, I don't think so. I think we're in a different state. Um, but I feel better about, you know, like one thing I tell my kids, you know, even as I've lost faith in the church, you know, and even as I've lost faith in like, you know, Jesus Christ per se, right? Like I, um, but I, like I would tell them, you know, I'm grateful, I'm thankful for Jesus because, you know, he's made it so that I'll be with my mom again, that you'll get to see grandma and he's, and he's made it so that our, you know, our, your brother, my son, that we're all going to be together again. And even though I've like, there was a lot, I think that, that probably, that kernel is probably what really gives me, it gave me like the real subconscious fear of, of you know, church isn't true. Is that not true type of thing, you know? And I feel like I've gotten past that just in the last six months or so to where, and it's just like what you said, Glenn, earlier about how like, you know, the, the good thing about the church is eternal life, right? But you have to do it this way. If you don't do this, if you don't sign under this mm. on this line and do it this, in this exact way, it's not going to happen. And you just kind of, it's almost laughable now, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like you take a step back and you're like, guys, this is how it is. You know, like you're putting all these trappings and rules around it, but yeah. you're, like, like Jesus headache. is this big, powerful person that did the atonement, but it's dormant until the Mormon priesthood right. activates it. Like, right. Come exactly. on, come yeah, on. It's just, just, just a silly thing. And, and so, and I, and I feel much better about, even though like I would say, you know, like my mom passed away and my son passed away. Like I still feel a connection to them and I still believe that they're somewhere and that, that they, they still exist, exist. Um, and that, um, and I really like this idea that I came up with <laughs> where, you know, like there's, there's like a perfect harmony that will come with death and when, with understanding and, you know, we'll see, like we, we will, um, like all the wrongs that I did to other people, I'll understand, but I'll also, I'll also understand all the rights I did and all those people that I wronged, they'll understand why I did those wrong things. Right. And, and, and rather than like hell and torment, there's like a harmony, a harmonization that comes from that, you know, and, and, and love and experience all together. And I think that it's a, it will be like a happy thing. One thing that I've, I've, I love this idea. And I think I got this for a little bit from Jordan Peterson um, uh, where, you know, God, what uh, uh, defining attribute of God is that he's limitless. Right. And that he has all, he's omniscient, all power, all things. Right. And the one thing he lacks is there are limits. Okay. And that, that's what we are. We're full of limits. And that's why I like this idea that we're part of God and like we're the, we're a physical or some kind of manifest manifestation of him. And I like this idea that even down to like, a cellular level, our life is defined by limits, right? We have that cell wall, we have the hydrogen bomb or the hydrogen bondings, all these limits. And I think that as we, and then that evolves up higher and higher and, and we have, we're individuals um, and we have our limit, our physical limits around us, but we also have our cultural limits. And I think that with death, those go away and we return to that limitless state and back into God. But I think we, um, we take with us these, um, like our memories and things like that. Now I'm kind of rambling. But, um, um, but, uh, but I, I feel like I'm much more at peace with, with, uh, with death. And, um, and I like that feeling. And, you know, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast too, Glenn, where 
when I pray now, I'm not praying necessarily to God, the Father, right? Even though I still do, like, in my heart and my head a lot. Um, but I think also of, like, we have these energies, you know, and when I'm seeking, like, help and guidance, I'm not just, like, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like it's just, like, I'm just praying to the space, you know? I really do feel like there's energies, in, and life is energy, you know? And mm-hmm. our, and it's flowing through me, and I can get more out of life. Maybe even the things I want, um, you know, in Mormon speak, you'd say, like, if I have righteous desires, <laughs> right? And if it's the will of the Father, <laughs> you know, but all these caveats. Um, but I do think there is, like, a, uh, you know, there is an energy. And I don't think that I necessarily, I don't think that, that energy goes away when you die. I think you become part of it, maybe. And that reminds me of The Good Place. Did you guys, have you seen the finale of that? I saw the finale, yeah. Yeah, and so, it, um, you know, basically, they just, they walk through the, so they go to heaven, right? And heaven's boring. And so they have, they create death, <laughs> right? and uh oblivion or whatever it is yeah yeah and so they walk through and then they they turn into you know dust and fade away and um i wonder like if it's like that you know but i i don't know but that's the hard part thinking about are you gone right that's the scary thing and well what's funny is like you say turn into dust as if we aren't already that (laughs) you know like with like that that is that is what we are but it's you know like our our biology is allowing it to be what we are right now but that energy isn't just this separate thing that's me it's all the other but there's part portion of it that's doing me and then it'll go back to being not that but you know if einstein was right that all time exists all the time then this moment that we're in right now always is here yeah. always and and if there is some kind of omniscient omnipotent energy that can go back and revisit it at any any time and go oh i want to try it again where i do this a little bit differently or this a little bit differently and it like i, I think of it as like bits of computer programs that are self-running <laughs> and like they and whatever they're interested in doing they can do and uh yeah i, I don't know i mean it, it if, if death is just a dirt nap, and maybe I said this in the six, that's episode 620, I don't remember what I said, but if death is just a dirt nap, bring it on. You know, <laughs> I, would, I won't know the difference. It's, it's super, I don't know, it's grounding to me to think, I don't remember what it was like to be a fetus. I don't remember yeah, right? like <laughs> at the form of sperm and egg. Like, yeah. But before that, I understand along with kind of some of those like, Buddhist ideas of, you know, interdependence and um, impermanence, you know, it's like, um, I've never not been in some form, in some phase, I've always existed, and that will continue on. And I think it's helpful to me to um, think about, I mean, things that we can see, like clouds, you know, the way that we define when a cloud began is perhaps when us as you know perceptions that we have we see oh it appeared there that's the beginning of the cloud but did it exist before then absolutely in water particles and in a river or an ocean you know before that and it will phase out into whatever it is after that it doesn't mean that it's gone yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and and all of that energy that's doing us right now is also creating that inner chatter that is our our ego or our personality that we most closely identify with. I think that's what people are most afraid of with death is, is that going to go away? That sense of identity of like, okay, maybe right now I am a living cloud, um, but eventually I'm not going to be, then what? <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll give you a sneak peek. I, I, um, 
I'm going to be interviewing a woman soon who had a near-death experience. And I talked with her on the phone about it the other day. And she, she has this memory of being out of her body, watching the doctor like shine a flashlight into her eyes. So she's seeing this from outside, but then she's also seeing the light coming in. And he said, oh, she's, she's not there. There's no one there. And she remembered laughing. You know, like like laughing, like of course I'm here, but it wasn't audible. But so this this sense of a, a a conscious self that exists outside is that real? Was that just something that she was imagining? Who knows? But it's an interesting idea, and you know, we don't really know. <laughs> we don't really know what it's going to be. Well, but I, even the worst case, and I mean, like, what is the worst case scenario? Is like hell, I guess. Like I really, you get punished for things that you did in that life, and ah, I don't know. I, I don't think that's very probable. I was trying to think of a, an instance to be able to talk to my 13 the other year old the other day about how it could feel okay to give up that sense of knowing and have that be comforting of what's going to happen. And the only comparison I could come up with in that moment is that feeling, you know, depending, I guess, on your childhood, there is that time where you're just young enough where you kind of, you're old, just old enough where you understand your surroundings. You have a mom, a dad, a caretaker, yet you don't always know where you're going. When you get in the car, you're going somewhere, but there's that like comfort of my, my dad is driving and we're going to go. So if I want to close my eyes right now, I can close my eyes. And it's this like really warm feeling of it's going to be okay. They're going to, I'm going to get where I need to go. And thinking about that now, it's like, I don't know what God is, but that feeling that I feel that I love and that I associate with, with everything's going to be okay, I think still exists in the sense of whatever nature is doing and whatever happens as a result of experiences here, I'm going to be carried in some form or another through it. And that really, to me, is comforting knowing that the most sure thing is that it, you know, it happens, yeah. <laughs> that, that it, it ends up happening. So I think the fun part is trying to figure out what kind of meaning we assign to it. But um, yeah. ultimately, we all, we all move on. We all <laughs> change. Yeah. So. All right. In, in wrapping up, I am going to recommend the book that you guys might be familiar with it. It's, it's pretty recent. It's called the immortality key by Brian C. Murarescu. Murarescu. He was on uh, Joe Rogan uh, a couple of weeks ago. So you could listen to that interview or the audiobook. It's almost like a real life Dan Brown novel, like the Da Vinci code kind of thing. But the, the clues what he's unpacking going way back into history isn't that Jesus had a daughter and that knowledge <laughs> has been kept underground. It's that Christianity itself was influenced by these um, death cults, I guess, that, that were in ancient Greece, like the, oh, what, what was it? Like the Eusillian Mysteries, something like that. But basically that, that there were these cults around uh, psychedelics, where people would have a, an experience of what they thought was death, what it was like to be dead, and then they would come back from that. And it completely eradicated their fear of death. It changed the way that they viewed the world that they lived in, and that this is a very, very ancient human experience that has been suppressed um, 
by the the establishment you know priests that would rather be the intermediary between uh, worshipers and God instead of allowing people to to have a direct experience with God you've got to go through us our priesthood is what's going to seal you together you're not already just sealed you know that sort of thing but it's a really really good book really fascinating read um, and whether you're interested in psychedelics or not this idea of death that's so closely tied to that experience at least the way that it was practiced there uh, I, I'd recommend that very interesting study the brain alongside that because yeah. <laughs> what happens in your brain when you go on, you know, psilocybin and, and those things, it's really fascinating how the functionality lines up and yeah. out functions better than in your normal, I don't know, your programmed state. And it kind of takes away. Yeah. <laughs> Super fascinating. Right. Is that Michael Pollan's uh, how to change your mind? Well, there's a, a TED talk that I actually just listened to this morning. It's Simeon Karamedchev. I don't know what it is, but um, I can send you the link. But it's yeah, all yeah. psychedelics and his studying of the mind and what happens in your brain when you're on those psychedelics. But TED talks are nice and concise. They are. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, okay. thank you guys for coming on. This was a really fun discussion. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Down the weapons that you use against yourself You don't need them anymore Lay down the weapons that you use against the world We don't need another war Put down the weapons that you use against yourself Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Dashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic. So